It's Friday, it's the 26th of June 2020, it's Jim and it's the world of Bonds. First of all, I hope you got a chance to listen to my midweek podcast uh, on the book Angrynomics. Uh, it's a great new book by Eric Lonergan and Mark Blythe about some of the rise of populism, the anger in modern society and the economic solutions to some of those issues, which include borrowing at negative interest rates and investing in infrastructure, which doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. So I did this interview with them. It's a slightly longer podcast. The reason I mention it today is that if you're one of the 57% roughly of my listeners that use Spotify, for some reason it didn't post on Spotify. So if you want to listen to Mark, uh, Eric and myself debate Angrynomics, then please go to Apple Podcasts and you can catch up um, on that episode there. I think it's a good one. Uh, markets. The kind of risk-off tone continues, although equities did have a bit of a late bounce yesterday. It's all about the the rise of cases of of COVID in developed markets, really, at the moment. Um, US 10-year treasuries, 67 basis points. JGBs at one basis point. Gilts uh, heading back towards their their all-time lows, uh, 10 years at 16 basis points. And the Bund at minus 47. Investment grade credit holding up relatively well, so 152 basis points for dollar credit there. High yield though is slightly weaker and we're at 621 for the spread of uh, high yield dollar credit. Remember a couple of weeks ago that was down at 550 basis points roughly. Today there's a a great interview in the FT with my old boss Paul Tucker. He used to be uh, the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England and gave a great quote there, very scathing really about um, the relationship between the Bank of England and the Treasury. Quote, the question is, um, is the Bank of England still existing or has it reverted to um, effectively being the operational arm of the Treasury? So does the Bank of England still exist as an independent body or is it simply being instructed effectively by the Treasury to buy all the debt that the Treasury issues. Now, th- this isn't a new thing. This has been going on for a very long time. Uh, but I guess recently, the scale of those purchases, i.e. those purchases almost exactly matching the amount of Treasury issuance of gilts, and also the announcement that the ways and means overdraft effectively that the, the government can run at the Bank of England would come back into operational in, in a, a more substantial way than it usually does. Um, both of those things together make Mr Tucker um, a bit nervous uh, about the independence of the Bank of England and you know this, this is one of the playbooks of debt reduction post-war. It's about financial repression, it's about um, Bank of England independence becoming lessened and central banks becoming an instrument of treasuries. I've got his book in front of me, it's called Unelected Power, Um, Paul Tucker, it came out probably two years ago or something like that. Um, It's a very long book um, and it's very technical in, in many ways, but the thrust of his book is that following the global financial crisis, Um, central banks became the third great pillar of unelected powers uh, alongside sorry the judiciary and the military so central bank power is is huge now and he warned that central banks have become what he calls over mighty citizens so if you want to get the full uh, details of that interview it's in the ft today and his book is called unelected power warning that central bank independence is very much under threat and they're becoming really the financing arms of treasuries. The the second and final thing I want to talk to to you about today is ESG. 
Um, JP Morgan put out a report about ESG. Remember, that is kind of environmental, social and government issues, uh, sustainability and, you know, greenness all kind of folded into this idea that we can invest in a different way for the good of the planet, for the good of human beings and get better investment returns if we get the governance bit of uh, companies right uh, as well. Make sure we have independent boards and all of those sorts of things. Um, JP Morgan in a note a couple of days ago said the common belief amongst um, investors is that despite the global economic recession and COVID, sustainable investment strategies have been building on past strength and delivering above market returns. We believe there is evidence to support this. So what they're saying is, you know, there is this meme out there that we all think that ESG strategies have had a very good war, so to speak, during the COVID crisis. And they've looked at the returns and find that actually that is the case. ESG strategies have done um, very, very well over the past three months or so relative to traditional investment strategies. That's the good news. Uh, I think the less good news and the thing that I think we've got to bear in mind is that this is not necessarily an ESG effect per se, but it's a bit of a compositional effect. You know, what companies are we screening in when we do ESG analysis and what companies are we screening out? So if you were to look at a long tech, short energy basket of um, shares, which is what JP Morgan did, the returns are remarkably similar. So effectively, when you uh, screen for ESG, you're screening in tech companies, partly because they have far smaller workforces. They don't have... Uh, battles with trade unions, they don't have dirty, smelly factories and, um, you know, uh, safety issues around their workers in the same way as steel or coal or commodities would do. So tech companies get screened in, they have fewer employees, so they score more highly on the kind of social aspect. And as we're screening out uh, oil companies and energy companies as well as part of ESG in some cases, We've also avoided the collapse in the oil price that happened in March when oil prices went negative. Uh, and the global slowdown as a result of COVID has also made energy cheap and uh, hit the valuation of, of energy companies. So you could argue this is about ESG, um, but you could just argue that it's about the composition of an ESG basket that's kind of unrelated to ESG factors. Uh, and maybe in that case, there isn't such a strong argument that ESG outperforms structurally, just that it's outperformed due to those uh, individual issues that have gone on over the past three months. Personally, you know, I, I think that ESG is about more than returns. I think that we are ESG investors and you know, put our personal wealth, if we do so, in ESG funds, not necessarily because we're expecting them to outperform ordinary funds, It'd be nice if they did, but we're doing it because we want to do the right thing around global warming, around social factors, etc. So uh, something to consider there and have great weekends.